uh, to Colossians um, in the New Testament. Um, as Brian uh, said when he was leading today, we're completing our series at Christ and His People. Now we've been uh, here since January, um, and uh, we've been looking oh maybe eleven, maybe twelve uh, sermons now uh, on the topic of Christ and His people. As we've asked the question over and over again, uh, what does it mean to be the church as uh, as Jesus intended in our New Testament? And so we're uh, going to be finishing that uh, this morning. Um, Colossians chapter 3, I'll be reading from uh, verse 1 in a moment. Um, Colossians chapter 3, if you have your Bible open there, let's pray, shall we? Uh, Father, um, we do pray as we look ahead to the uh, by team uh, for much um, uh, fruit to be uh, harvested in your, um, in your harvest field, uh, the harvest field of Dundonald. We pray, Father, that you would take uh, Jewel and Jemima and equip them and the rest of the team uh, and that they would be able to know your help in preparation, in planning, and in, uh, in the week itself uh, when, it, uh, when it comes along uh, sooner than we think uh, in August. We pray, Father, as we open your word now, that you would do a work in our hearts so that there would be gospel fruit there, uh, that we would uh, know your help and the leading of your spirit as we seek to hear your voice in your word and live in accordance with it. I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Back to the slideshow, Rodney. Please, I, I like um, I like time travel uh, movies. Uh, one of the uh, one of the best ever made is called Back to the Future. I'm, I'm sure you've uh, heard about it uh, at a recent uh, meet up of the characters. 38 years on, uh, we can see. I'm sure you can see that that time has taken its toll. Uh, on the right-hand side. Uh, in the second uh, film, um, part two, uh, which is my favorite, right, Marty and the other characters travel uh, forward 30 years uh, into the future in the DeLorean, uh, made in, in Belfast, of course, uh, and have to contend with other versions of themselves, uh, future versions of themselves that they sort of have to hide from lest it cause a paradox and a fracture in the space-time continuum, whatever that means. Uh, pure nonsense, yes, but uh, great mental gymnastics nonetheless. I like a bit of mental gymnastics. But can you imagine another version of yourself that isn't a Christian? If you were to meet him or her, what would they be like? A, a non-Christian uh, Richard or Paul or Sarah or Claire, what, what, would, what would you be like? I mean, imagine with me what it might be like to have never met with Jesus and trusted in him. How different would you be left to your own devices, as it were? Other you, well, they, they probably have another hobby on a Sunday. Uh, I don't know, doing the park run or fishing or scrapbooking or something. Uh, they, they wouldn't be in church. Other you'd have, have different friends. Uh, you'd be mixing in different social circles for sure. Other you'd maybe dress differently perhaps, maybe not so modestly. Perhaps you look a bit older with the impact of, I don't know, living for the weekend the way people do and drinking too much that people do. Other you probably would speak a bit differently. There would probably be words that other you would use that you would not use. And words you as a Christian would use that they wouldn't. Terms that you would understand and things like that. Other you maybe would not be in the same relationship status that you're in. Maybe, maybe you'd still be out there playing the field as it were. Or, or maybe you'd be on husband number two or three by now or something. I don't know. Other you'd spend your money differently. 
you wouldn't see any need to give meaningfully and sacrificially to the church. You'd, you'd maybe spend it on, I don't know, more holidays or more cars or more perfume or more handbags. I don't know. But the question is, are you really that different? Think of it slightly the other way. What difference does it make for you to be a Christian, to follow Jesus, to be part of the local church? Let's read Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 4. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Paul and Timothy, are the authors of this letter, are teaching the church in Colossae, in what we now know as central Turkey. Well, they're teaching them important instructions about being a Christian. It's a church that was planted by Epaphras, uh, who probably traveled to hear Paul uh, preaching in Ephesus, where he planted the church and spent three years there. And the message is, well, it's crystal clear, isn't it? Christians are different. Christians are different. To be a Christian is to be different, and not just surface level different. It's, it's clearly much more than that, isn't it? Christians set their hearts on different things. Look at verse 1. If you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Seek. Seek is, is more than, than looking for your car keys because you've left them somewhere that you, you forgot. No, no seek is, is to look for with desire. It's, it's to long. The NIV has helpfully set your hearts on things above. If you were to meet that non-Christian you, then you should notice that you're very different indeed. Because you are. There, there's more than just a, a Christian look, a Christian air about someone. No, it goes way deeper than that. Christians have, have different desires we're reading, aren't we? Christ has saved them. And Christ has been at work on them on the inside and given them desires and also uh, told them to desire these things. Paul instructs these Christians in Colossae to set their hearts on things that are above, to seek them, because Christians seek things that are above. What are the things that are above that Paul speaks about in Timothy? The things that are above stand in contrast to the things that are below, obviously, he says. On earth, there are what everyone else wants. The things that are above are, are things that, that, that last when the world has gone the way of the dodo. They're what everyone else loses. They're not what everyone else loses when, when life is over. The things that are above are things that relate to the one who is above. They're not what everyone else doesn't have and that's relationship with with him Paul clarifies above in the middle of verse 1 above is where Christ is he says seated at God's right hand above is, is heaven these believers are to seek to strive after to long for the things of heaven the things of Christ 
For as Paul and Timothy knew, there is no shortage of, of, of things, there are no shortage of things that in this present world that you could seek after and set your heart on. No shortage. But the heavenly things, the, the eternal things, the things that really matter are the things of Christ. I wonder, have you spent any of the last week chasing after something that really doesn't matter? That's a challenging thought, isn't it? Like a lapel flower on, on a wedding day. Every time I'm at a wedding, I think that the lapel flower, you know, the kind of thing you, you wear on here, is a good sort of microcosm, a good sort of picture for life. Because maybe you're running around all morning chasing the floor, from florist to florist trying to get a flower because you forgot to get one before and, and, and it's so very, very important you get a flower for the wedding. And taking time, holding the rest of, you, of the party back from, from going to the wedding on time because you've got to get it pinned on the right side and it has to be looking right. And then in a matter of hours, it's flopped on your coat on some chair at the side of the ballroom and you don't even know where it is. And then by the end of the night, it's lying on a heap on, on the bedroom floor and it's got a suit jacket on top of it. And then by the morning, well, it's the first thing in the bin, isn't it? Because it really doesn't matter. Because it doesn't last forever. Things that don't last forever don't matter. How do you remember things? I wonder how you, how you have you got any sort of tips or, or tricks to do that? We, we have a saying in our house, do things that your future self will thank you for. Put the car keys where they belong. Put stuff back in the place where it's supposed to be. Put all the stuff you daren't forget together in one place uh, for the trip away, and then you remember it all. Or write yourself notes, uh, notes to self. Text yourself. That, that's a good way. You, I don't know. How, how, how do you remember things? Paul says to these early church Christ, Christians, don't forget the important things that last forever. Eternal, internal heart matters. Your relationship with Jesus, it lasts forever, you know. Work on it. Desire it to deepen. Your, your, your sanctification, your, your growth in godliness, you're, you're going to need that, you know. Prioritize that, that inward life. Read things that will grow you. Seek his kingdom. Seek his kingdom and to share it with others because it's the only message that really matters. What are you setting your heart on? What belongs at the end of a sentence like, my life wouldn't be worth living without? What belongs at the end of a sentence like, if only I could have such and such, I would be happy? What belongs in the middle of that sentence? What do you dream of for your future self? That's what you've set your heart on. Paul says, guard your heart. It can wonder. It, it, it can love another. Don't, don't two-time God. Seek Christ and the things of Christ, the things above. Christians set their hearts on different things. Christians also set their minds on different things. Being worldly is not just about the surface, is it? It's about the heart. It's about the mind. Paul not only tells the Christians to seek the things above in their hearts, but also to set their mind on the same things that are above. Because the temptation to punch the Christian bus ticket to heaven and live like everyone else has been there since the beginning. 
you know that you can't just be going there as opposed to the other place, the horrible place called hell. You, you have to like the one who's there. You, you understand that? You have to want to be with the one who's there. You have to you have to love the one who lives there, and you have to have your you have to fill your mind with the things of the one who does live there while you wait to be there. G I G U stands for garbage in, garbage out. It's a computer term that I learned when I was doing A levels years ago, and it essentially means that you can't blame a computer for a mistake. They only do what they're told. Uh, humans make mistakes, although with the advance of AI, who knows, we'll maybe have to rethink that one. Okay, But it's true with regard to your mind and mine. Garbage in, garbage out. What you put in there shows itself. The helmet of salvation is absolutely necessary as you are bombarded with, with every other priority you can possibly imagine in a really fast-paced modern world. Paul is aware that these believers could have all their Christian surface ducks lined up, but be as worldly as anything in the deep places, isn't they? They could be, they could be, they could look the part, but but internally they could be nowhere. Because where is the heart? Where is the mind? That's those are the questions that show the reality. The internal which shows itself on the surface eventually, but you see, you could look the part, couldn't you? You could dress right. You could give money in when the bag comes around. You could use the right words. You could know the theological terms. You could not smoke, not drink, not gamble, not swear. But you could, in the center of yourself, be as self-centered as anyone. Thinking about me first. Putting yourself first. Tearing others down in your mind. That's possible, isn't it? Now, it will come out somewhere. Maybe at home. When no one else hears you in the house and you're horrible to your husband or wife or when you're alone looking at other men's wives lonely or imagining a life you'd had with, with a different man or something or living a secret life online, it will come out. The reality is your inner life could be a mess even if you've got all the outers tidy and hoovered. If you get your theology from loose women don't be surprised if the outcome is garbage in your life. You say, loose women don't talk about theology. Well, it's actually all worldview and interpretation of the world around you. It's all who is God. It's all theology, really. It is. Everything matters. If you get your theology from Love Island or a, or a TV box set series, if you get your theology from pop psychology memes on, on Instagram or, 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 um, or Facebook, or if you take your lead from your non-Christian mates, those things have a louder voice in your head than, than any Bible you read, then, you, then you're in trouble. You're in trouble. Because internal matters. Heart and mind matters. You're very different than the non-Christian you. At least you, you ought to be, God's word teaches us. Perhaps you need to repent and ask Jesus to take that inner life and, and renew it. To, to go to work in the way that only he can. Paul resorts to shock tactics here. Mental shock treatment. He wants these Christians to remember that they're alive for a different world. And so he uses words that you never expect to hear anyone say to you in this world. To teach you about the next one. Memorable words. Look at verse 3. We've got them there. 
first four verses of verse three, you, first three verses of verse three, if you take out the four, for you have died. Four verse, four words of verse three. For you have died. Now those are words you're not ever expecting anyone to say to you. Do you, do you realize that? Because if, if, if I'm dead, I, I'm not going to hear someone telling me I'm dead. You, you get the idea. Paul says, you've died. Salvation, conversion, becoming a Christian, it's a big change. You, you have died, Paul says. Shock tactics. Remem- remember it. Memorable words. You, you've died to this world and its values and its priorities. You're, you're dead to chasing all that they chase. Sin no longer has dominion over you. You're, you're free in Christ from that. You, you have a new life from the inside out. You're part of the new humanity. You're the new people of God. Eden 2.0. Notice the opening description of the Christians that Paul is speaking to. Verse 1. If you have been raised with Christ. You are raised with him already. Two resurrections. Well, well, three resurrections. Aren't there three resurrections? Christ rises from the dead. Uh, is seated at the right hand of God, that's one. And when God in his grace and mercy saves you and regeneration occurs, you're, you're raised with Christ, that's two, Ephesians 2 verse 6. Christ has raised us up already uh, with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And then at the end, all believers are raised with him at the general resurrection, that's three. Okay, three. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Powerful words. It's no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory, Paul says earlier in Colossians. Uh, verse 4 is a step further. Christ is your life. You hear it? He's the love of your life now. In fact, he is your life now. Your desire is, is for him. He is your purpose and meaning maker now. Your, your mind is being renewed. The reason why you're still breathing and blood is pumping around your mortal body is Christ. That's the reason. To be his servant, to be his witness. God is at work. And so the instructions of verse 1 and 2 are possible. If God wasn't at work, you couldn't do this. You couldn't be set in your mind and things that are above. And you couldn't be set in your heart and things that are above. But God's at work, so it's possible. Christians are very different in their desires, in their thought life. Secondly, this morning, the church is also different. Let's read verse 16 and 17 of the same chapter of Colossians 3. These are God's words uh, from there. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. In verses 15 and 16, in fact, probably since about 12 in this chapter, Paul and Timothy are speaking to the people in the context of the gathered church. And this is not about the surface either, is it? That, that church down the road, you know, or are there nice facilities? Uh, is the worship set good? Uh, is there a big youth program? Is the, is the kids work well funded? Is the church large in size because it's a, it's a success story? Is it, is, it, is it a model that we can sort of sell on to others and who can succeed as well? No, this is deeper, isn't it? No, no, the church is different from the ways things are run outside. 
This is our series here in a nutshell, isn't it? For not only is it true that Christians are different as individuals inside where it counts, when they get together, when they gather in the church, they're very different too. It's not worldly wisdom. It's the word of Christ that's her chief concern and wisdom. It's not therapeutic, we're all born good. It's the word of Christ which says, Jeremiah 17, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. It's not self-improvement, try your very best. It's the word of Christ which says, Ephesians 2, you are dead in your trespasses and sins and, and need of new life in him. It's, it's not corporate marketing ploys. It's the word of Christ which says, Matthew 16, I will build my church. It's not the latest cultural trend on gender or sexuality. It's the word of Christ. Christ, which says, Genesis 1, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. It's the word of Christ which determines and drives all that we do in church. For the Colossians and for every church since, it's the internal impacting word of Christ which must be their first priority. And that's very different from worldly wisdom. In fact, the word of Christ is the opposite to worldly wisdom. Uh, 1 Corinthians 1 says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. And so it must be, it must be the internal impacting word of Christ which must be our first priority, which makes us different. And also what Christ intends us to be. It's not the curse of individualism which results in, in selfishness and ruined relationships and shoving others down the ladder on your way up. In the church, it's, it's one another, isn't it? Teaching and admonishing one another, verse 16 says. That's the way. We teach and admonish one another in, in all wisdom, in the, in the word of Christ, in other words. Pulpit ministry and mutual ministry to one another. We sing uh, with and we sing to each other with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs we read all about the word of Christ. Uh, for, for we are the bride of Christ. Uh, we, we listen to him. We, we long for him to come back again. It's building one another up in the word and things of Christ. For as we remind ourselves again, our theme verse which kicked all this off, Galatians 6 verse 10 so then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. The household of faith. That's what we are. 1 Timothy 3.15, the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth, the, the household of God, a family, in other words, with ties that bind us. A family that is adopted because of the work of elder brother Jesus. A family that is the one family that will actually last until the next world. The natural one won't. At the end of verse 16, Paul and Timothy speak of thankfulness to God in our hearts. That's another internal matter. Thankfulness marks God's people. Sometimes it might not appear that there's much to be thankful for, but we're, we're different, aren't we? We're not called to, be, to thank God for all things, but we're to remember that there's always a reason to, to thank him, even in the hardest of times, if, if, if we have the faith to look for it. There's always a mercy. It also reminds us that important lesson that in the church we're not consumers. This is hard to shake, isn't it? 
It's everywhere in our society. Go somewhere if you like it. Don't go if you don't. Suit yourself. If it doesn't suit you, somewhere else will suit you. Try something else. The music's too loud. The the people are too young. The the people are too old. The, the, The youth isn't big enough. No, thankfulness, of course, is a dagger to the heart of consumerism. It gives you also that important realization that you are not a spectator, but a part As we saw when we we looked at deacons, uh, when you serve, you gain assurance of your faith and a renewed sense of belonging. You're a part. In the church, we live not for ourselves, not to please ourselves. We live for others and and to please one other especially. That's what verse 17 means. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to to God the Father through him. Whatever they find their hands to do in, Col- in Colossae, they do it unto Christ in the name of their Savior and King with him in view. For of course one day he will firmly be in view. And finally this morning, the new world is different still. What is the, what is the new world like? You know the, the new heavens and, and the new earth? When after the second coming we're resurrected to new life, What's it like? Let me read from Matthew 19. It's on the screen. Jesus said to them, 28 to 30, Truly I say to you in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses and, or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. What's the new world like? Jesus uses that term, doesn't he? He calls it a new world. It's, 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 a, it's a world with, with Jesus at the center. He's the king and we serve him. It's a, it's a world of reward, isn't it? Where you gain reward for how you've lived. That's very clear. It's a, it's a world of love, Jonathan Edwards says. Heaven is a world of love. It's a, it's a perfect world, isn't it? Dean Ortland says this, I found the quote so helpful I had to put it all in. If you are in Christ, listen to this, one day you will find yourself on this earth minus sin and disease and hospitals and medicine and alarm clocks and apologies and tears and resentment and dashed hopes and relational friction and unexplainable sadness and shame and boredom and mustered up happiness. And you'll find yourself in a transformed but fully physical body, unable to sin, at rest, feeling better physically than you ever could, even in your earthly prime, enjoying this earth as it was meant to be enjoyed, the the food, the the flowers, the, the mountains, the sunsets, the friendships, the uproarious laughter, the games, the songs, the smells, the basketball, he's American, the knitting, the running, the learning, the conversations. And shot through everything, and over everything, and giving everything, meaning to everything, the everlasting joy in God that we were created for. Isn't that what Brian read at the start in Isaiah? That's it. That's the world that's coming. In the new world, Jesus says, the first are last, and the last are first. Because, of course, in so many ways, Well, in so many ways, God's ways are upside down to the way of the world. It's the ones who who 
who know they don't deserve it that get his favor upon them. It's, it's the weak ones, the ones who know they're unable that Christ saves. It's those who know they are unable that Christ enables. And in the church too. In the church we, we gather for the sake of others, not just when we like it. That's the upside down of, of therapy. In the church we, we prefer others, one another, not ourselves. That's the upside down of, of service. In the church we're, we're, to build to be, uh, we're built to be welcoming and, and to seek to build relationships, to open ourselves up to others in sharing our time in hospitality and in opening our homes. That's the opposite of hospitality because that's where you go to get served in, in our world, isn't it? That's the opposite. The hospitality industry, they serve you. In the church, we're not to, to, to use tolerance as a, as a way to sort of keep quiet about the gospel, but to urge people to be reconciled to God. That, that's upside down peacemaking. In the church, we're to give away rather than to keep for the, for the good of the whole. That's upside down economics. In the church, we, we, we reach out for the, for the name and glory of another. That is God. That's upside down marketing. In the church, we are to recognize our need and failure and helplessness that leads us to pray, to gather together uh, to the one who does have it all together, and that is upside-down self-sufficiency. You see, as new creation Christians, we have the DNA of the new world in us. Because the church is a foretaste of the new world. That's what it is. The church is, is, a, is, a, is, a, is a foretaste of the, of the gathered new humanity. That's coming. God's upside down ways are her ways. The new gathered humanity carry the seed of the upside down new world in them. And they, and they do it right now. This is a foretaste. You've gathered this morning for a foretaste of the new world. That's what you've done. A foretaste of, of heaven. Best to get used to it. Isn't that right? That, that's where we're going to spend a lot longer. Best to get used to it. In the new world, we'll gather in that great assembly that, that no one can number. And all of, our, all of our loved ones, our family members who've gone on before will be there. In the new world, we'll have perfect relationships with everyone. We'll, we'll live in total harmony. And we'll love one another deeply. And we'll prefer one another. And in the new world, we'll look to Christ as the preeminent one. And we'll listen to him. And so we look to him now in the church. And we make the word of Christ our focus and supreme rule. In the new world, we live for another king called Jesus. And so we live for him now. This is what will be. So we are as well starting now as we mean to go on. Yes, earlier um, we imagined you meeting your unconverted self and noticing what differences you might have noticed and picked up. Instead now, I want you to think future and imagine your new glorified self you know the one who who walks the streets of the new world imagine if you were to meet them what would that be like what would you learn from you the unselfish preferer of others, the, the loving, kind, sinless person that you'll be, the mature believer, the hospitable one, the, the new other God for me, worshiper, the, the lover of Christ, the inside and out Christian. What, what would it be like? 
would you learn from them about yourself, about the priorities? What would you learn from them about church? What would you learn? Would you learn that, that, that it has the seed of the new world in it? What things could you do that your future self would thank you for? I'm so glad you completed that collection of Royal Dalton plates. I'm so glad you climbed the career ladder. I'm so glad you got that lawn looking perfectly every summer for 13. I'm so glad you finished Grey's Anatomy. I'm so glad you got the second home. I'm so glad that you got the curtains that match the sofa perfectly. I'm so glad you completed Super Mario Brothers. Well, that's all in the bin, isn't it? It's in the bin. Your future self isn't saying that. Because it's what you did for Christ. It's how you grew in love for him. For he is your love now. It's how you witnessed to someone in the office. It's how you taught those children that you were entrusted with the things of God. Because they live on. Those people. Those children. Those, those family relatives that you... They live on. They do. The stuff's in the bin, but they live on. That's what your future self will thank you for. It would be very different, wouldn't you? I would be too, if you met your future self. You wouldn't be chasing stuff in this world. You'd be, you'd be chasing stuff for the one that mattered. You'd be, you'd be the best church member for its upside down things is, is the way you now live. Because that's the way things will be in the new world. For in the new world, the bridegroom has come and now you're forever satisfied in him and all the flowers from your lapels are in the bin. But you have the DNA in you now. You're already raised with Christ. God's word says. You're being equipped for the new world, but you've got the seed of it in you. You see? To be raised with Christ is to have the, the seed of the new world in you. Being in church with those who have the seed of the new world in them. And being the church as Jesus intended. And so we can be the community of believers as Jesus intended. Let's sing, shall we? I'll pray and I will sing, may the mind of Christ my Savior. Heavenly Father, please help us as we consider our hearts and our minds and how they lean, our priorities and what it will be to be a follower of Jesus in the new world. For that is where we're heading and eternally so. May we honor and bring glory to Christ now with the DNA of the new life in us already, raised with Christ.